bow our heads for a word of prayer as we dive into part two of Game Changers. You remember part one, excavation before elevation. It's not if you're playing the game right, it's if you're playing the right game. We're going to dive into part two today. Father, may we not just do church this morning, may we respond to what church brings us and to what the Word of God has to say to us. It is a mirror into our hearts and to our souls. And it's one thing just to look into a mirror. It's another thing to make some adjustments. And that's what more than likely you want us to do this morning. So may you dive into every recess and every corner of our hearts. May you shine a floodlight uh, in areas of our lives that we've been hiding from. And Father, no matter how tough this truth may be this morning, we know that when we obey, uh, the blessing is ours. You provide the blessing, even when it's uncomfortable, uh, especially when it's uncomfortable. Father, you want us to live by faith, and so may our hope in you increase this morning uh, because we spent the first part of our week giving it to you. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Exodus 14, if you have your Bibles, I enjoy seeing how the minds of children work. I ran into this letter that a young boy apparently had a scuffle at school, and uh, he wrote this letter apologizing to a fellow student after doing something mean to him. He said, I am sorry, Ben. I didn't mean to hurt you. I feel like crap. (laughs) I love you, and I was trying to hit Chris. I hate Chris. I hate my choice I made. I really hope you accept my apology when I threw the scissors. I was aiming for Chris. I hope you start to feel better soon. And then when you look down, you see a scale of how much he loves Ben compared to how much he loves Chris. So God is blessing him because he's sorry, but of course he still hates Chris. So I don't know how much there's a blessing there. I think we could call that stubbornness. And the reason I can recognize stubbornness is because I struggle with stubbornness. There was a sign on a billboard that said this. It reads that uh, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And then some man got on there and said, no, we won't. <laughs> I was talking to our oldest son this last week about Jesus and the cross and how he died on the cross for our sins. We were just sitting in our living room. And of course, since I'm a preacher, that's all we talk about all day in our homes. We just talk about the gospel all day long, 24-7. And uh, anyway, <laughs> I really was telling him about Jesus on the cross, believe it or not. Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> now that I, you guys are twisted. Um, but I was telling him, Jesus died on the cross so that we can go to heaven someday. And uh, he said, that's, that's good. He said, did God die on the cross? I said, well, actually, yes, because Jesus is God. And I heard him whisper to himself, now that's interesting. <laughs> and then about five seconds of reflective thought, and he said, So you're saying God has a brown beard, too. (laughs) A friend of mine by the name of John Wee shares of an experience. He takes his family into a Chinese restaurant, and he's sitting down, but there's a a grandmother and a grandson who walked up to to the counter to order. I guess they had all the pictures of the food up on the wall behind him. And all of a sudden, the boy just yelled, Grandma, I ain't eating no human chicken. And John, he just say, just turn and boy, that, that's kind of embarrassing. The grandmother was really embarrassed, and she, don't say that. What are you? But as a lot of children, they don't obey, and he just kept yelling even louder and louder, Grandma, I'm not eating no human chicken. 
And he just kept yelling, stop saying that. And John, finally, whenever they left, he, he looked in his menu to see what he was looking at. On the menu, he was looking at this right here. <laughs> I ain't eating no <laughs> human chicken's not the same as Hunan chicken. At least I hope not. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of faith that the Bible talks about, big faith, small faith, drifting faith, saving faith, action faith, dead faith. Did you know that God never told children to have faith like an adult? What did he say? He looked at the adults and said, you need to start having faith like the children. He emphasized a childlike faith. I'm going to talk about a game-changing faith this morning. It's an obey first type of a faith. If you would just hang with me for a second, let me tell you a couple Bible events. Go back in Exodus in your mind. You remember the Hebrews were being delivered from Egypt. Egypt was enslaving the, the uh, Hebrew people. And one day Moses walks in, and you remember the ten plagues, and the final plague is the death of the firstborn who ever didn't have the blood on the doorposts. And he's telling Pharaoh, you better let God's people go. And finally, after the death of the firstborn, uh, Pharaoh does let God's people go. But as, as the Hebrews are going and they're leaving Egypt, all of a sudden Pharaoh decides that was a bad idea because the economy is going to fall apart. They were the, my stock market, the Dow Jones is going to fall. I better go grab my cheap labor again. And so he grabs his army, the greatest army in the world at that time, and he goes after the Hebrews. And when the Hebrew people saw that the Egyptian army was coming, they threw up their hands and said, why, why didn't you just build our graves back in Egypt? Why did you do this to us? This is going to be a slaughter. And sure enough, the reason they said that was because on one side, as they were walking, there was a body of water called the Red Sea. On the other side was the Egyptian army, and they had nowhere to go. They were trapped. This was going to be a bad scene. And that's when God steps in and he says to Moses, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to intervene. You're going to see my power. But first, you need to start walking toward that water. And somewhere between here and there, I'm going to step in and deliver you. Somewhere between here and there. Somewhere between here and there. Would you have gone? You know what? That's called power along the way. You walk first. You step in obedience first. You do what I say first. You trust me first. And somewhere between here and that body of water, you're going to see my power. I just got to tell you, that's not the kind of power I like. I like power up front. <laughs> I like power before the crisis hits. I like power before the depression or the loneliness or the pain or the catastrophe. I like power. God, intervene now, and then I'll walk to the Red Sea. But God says, no, you walk first, and somewhere between here and there, you're going to meet me in a way that you've never met me before. And many of you know the rest of the story, don't you? They started to walk, and it actually says they walked all the way to the water's edge. And then what did God do to the water? He parts it, and one side becomes a wall on their right, another side becomes a wall on their left, and God's people walk through on dry ground. And then whenever they get all the way across and the Egyptian army starts to cross, what happens? The first Typhoon Texas wave park began, and the walls crumbled, 
and the rest of that story is bad for them. And we're still finding remnants archaeologically of that event in the bottom of the Red Sea today. He said, somewhere from here to there, you're going to see my power. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, he actually puts it this way in the, in the Living Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, have you ever heard a preacher say this? Quit praying. Get moving. March forward. You already know what you're supposed to do. You don't need to keep praying about it. Quit praying. And when you get off the couch and you start walking, you're going to get power along the way. Then they get through the desert. Forty years later, they're walking into the promised land. God says, walk on into the promised land. But there's a problem. There's another body of water. There's another river. It's called the Jordan River. It's at flood stage because it's during the spring. And God's people say, we'd love to enter the promised land, but we can't because there's a river. And what does God say? He says, just start walking. Just start walking. Actually, don't only get to the water's edge this time, actually step into the water, and somewhere between here and there, you're going to see the power of God. And what do they do? In Joshua 3, 8, the command is given. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. And then in verse 15, he says, And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water. The Jordan overflows. All its banks are at the time of harvest. So the waters were going fast, and it was flooding. Waters were coming down from above, stood the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. They were probably expecting, okay, I've seen this before. If we get to the water's edge, God's going to intervene. They actually had to go ankle deep into the water this time, and then the waters parted. Somewhere between here and there, you're going to see my power. This is game-changing faith. We could keep going. We could go to Jericho. They have the two walls. There wasn't just one wall. There were two walls around Jericho. And he says, just start, mar just start marching. You obey first. You start walking first. Get off the couch and start doing. Obey. And eventually you're going to see the power of God. And what happened? They marched around for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. Still nothing happened. God said, blow the trumpet. After the trumpet blew, what did God do? The walls came down. We could go to John 2. You remember the wedding where they ran out of wine, embarrassing in those days? More than even so today. Jesus tells the servants, fill up six water pots and take the six water pots. And you may not remember this part. He says, take the six jars of water and take it to the wine taster. And I can imagine them saying, we're not taking six pots of water to the wine taster because he's just going to say, this is water. And he said, somewhere from here to there, you're going to see my power. And they took the jars of water to the wine taster. And by the time, somewhere along the way, power along the way, it turned into wine. My favorite, Luke 17, 10 lepers come to Jesus and they're wondering, I wonder, if, I know Jesus does miracles, does he do leprosy too? And Jesus says, turn around, Go show yourself to the priest. Look at Luke 17, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And surely the lepers thought, why we still have leprosy? 
The priests were the medical department of the day. They were de declaring if you were clean or unclean. They declared if there was a miracle that was done and you don't have leprosy anymore. And Jesus didn't do a miracle and said, turn around and go to the priest. He said, go show yourself to the priest first and somewhere between here and there, you're gonna see my power. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, and as they went, everybody say that with me. And as they went, they were cleansed. When? I don't know. Somewhere between here and there, as they obeyed, as they went, as they got off the couch and walked, they were cleansed. And God showed up. God is looking for people today who will start walking. They'll start believing. They'll start trusting. And God will do something between here and there if we get off the couch and walk. Now, I, I need to warn you. Sometimes the somewhere between here and there is really late, <laughs> isn't it? God always seems to work really late. Abraham and Isaac, he tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son up on that mountain. And even Hebrews 11 says Abraham believed God would intervene, but God does intervene. He provides a ram. But when did God provide the ram out of the thicket for another sacrifice? Did he do it at the bottom of the mountain? Did he do it halfway up the mountain? Did he get to the top of the mountain and say, Abraham, good job, you walked the mountain, well done? No, he says he actually provided the wood, he built the altar, he put Isaac on the altar, and he says he tied Isaac up, he bound him up, and he took the knife, and he lifted the knife, and then God stopped him. Somewhere between here and there, God intervenes. I'm telling you, this is a game-changing biblical truth that I have discovered over and over again in my life to be true. Other people have discovered it to be true. The scriptures declare it to be true. If we take the first steps, he promises to intervene somewhere between here and there. Nathan, if I win the lottery first, then I'll start giving to the church. Those 5.3 billion, that always seems to be up for grabs, right? And if you do win the lottery, just remember us, okay? If, if God does something amazing, then I'll start giving. If God does something amazing, then I'll start being involved in the church. If God fixes the problem, then I'll, then I'll devote my life to him. If he shows up first, then I'll follow him. And it may be that God is waiting for us to get off the couch and to walk toward the water's edge. And he says, somewhere between here and there, he will show his power. Oh, I'll let go of my anger and bitterness if they first drop on their knees and beg for mercy. Then I won't be resentful. I'll become a Christian someday when I have all my questions answered and there's no longer any doubts. Then I'll become a Christian. This game-changing faith started to manifest. The first time I learned it was when I was about 16 years old. There began to be a nudge on my heart that was just painful Nathan, you need to preach the gospel. You need to preach. Now, you hear that, and I'm telling you, if you knew me when I was 16, I was the most backwards. Well, that hasn't changed. I was, man, I would be the last person you'd ever think. I was a stutterer. I couldn't talk. I took speech for seven or eight years as a child. I was way behind on talking, way behind on reading, and my teachers would tell you way behind on studying, and it would be the last thing in the world. But a, a preacher in the area, he said, Nathan, will you preach for me on Sunday? And I, I was 17 by this point, and I thought, man, you gotta, you gotta be, you, 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 you gotta be kidding me. 
That's basically how I answered that. There is no way in the world, but God just kept on laying it on my heart. No, you, you got to preach. You got to preach. And I'm telling you, it was this bad. You think during the song service when I got up there, or when I was out in the crowd with the song service happening, you think I'd be praying for lives to be saved and, and changed and the power of the gospel to go forth and the banner of love to be proclaimed. You think that's what I was praying? No, I was praying that a thunderstorm would come and knock out the power lines so that all the power would go out and we could cancel the rest of the service. I prayed that prayer the first day I ever preached. I did. That's how spiritual this man is right here. I was scared to death. And then they said, and now Nathan's going to come forward to preach, and I couldn't get out of my seat. I sat right over there on that side of the auditorium, and I just, God, get me out of this seat. And then over the course of years, God began to display People that were stagnant for the faith started to catch fire. Churches started to grow. People started to come to Christ, and God started to show, see, you just walk first, and I'll show up somewhere along the way. About six or eight months into that, when I was 18 years old, I was speaking at different churches who needed fill-in preachers. I was at a country church in Illinois surrounded by four cornfields in the middle of nowhere, and I was so scared that whenever I drove up in my little 1997 green Dodge Avenger car, two-door, I pulled up about 30 minutes before church, and I was so scared that I couldn't pull in the parking lot because I didn't know how to start conversations with people. I was that introverted. I was that shy. And so what I did was I just kept on driving past the church. On down a gravel road, I saw a little pathway into a cornfield that probably tractors used to start uh, doing their thing in the field, and I backed up into the cornfield and hid in the corn for the next 25 minutes. That's how scared I was. I think people were driving by, and all of a sudden I come out, it was like field of dreams, <laughs> you know. And I showed up about two minutes before church because I couldn't talk to people. But God said, you walk first, you obey, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it doesn't make any sense, and I will show up somewhere along the way. Now, I got to tell you, I'm still scared of doing this. I get nervous every Sunday morning. I get nervous every Saturday night. Actually, this so drains me that on Sunday, I'm useless at home. Chelsea prepares for it. She prepares the kids for useless Nathan, just like Monday through Saturday. It's not a whole lot different. <laughs> but this still drains me, but God has shown up somewhere along the way. Let me give you some passages to back this up. Psalm 37, 5. Look at this. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do what? No, 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 no. He won't act first and then commit your... God, if you act first, then I'll trust in the Lord. Then I'll commit my ways to you. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and then he will act. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, what's it start with? Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and then what will he do? He'll guide your life on a straight path. Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things. God, I cannot see how this is going to work out. I don't know how you're going to show up here. I don't know how you're going to intervene, but I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. And by the way, the next passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says the righteous, we walk by what? Faith. Not by sight. 
all throughout the scriptures and even today, God is asking his followers to put one foot in front of the other in the general direction that God is leading you. We don't always know the exact direction, but we know obedience is that way. And if we go in the general direction toward the water's edge, somewhere between here and there, God's power will be displayed. Now, for the rest of the message, I would like to make this practical for us. Some of you right now, and I don't know, are in the middle of making a big decision in your life. How do I know that? Number one, because it's summertime. Somehow summertime always is a changing time for people. Probably somebody in the room today is in the midst of a big decision. It's a painful decision. You know what you're supposed to do. And you knew this time was coming to make this decision. And you probably even know what the right thing to do is. And maybe you're waiting for God to show up with a lightning bolt or a big thunder from heaven and just make it happen. But chances are God's waiting for you to take the first step and then God's power will show up. Some of you may have a dysfunctional relationship with money and you know this. You know you spend more than you should. You know you live opposite and you're always complaining about money. You don't have enough, but the way you live your week is top of the, top of the ceiling with your income and you have a dysfunctional relationship with money, which, by the way, is a very biblical truth to have a healthy relationship with money, and this is going to affect generations and generations down the line of your family. If you do not get a hold of it today, you know you should do something right now. You know you need to make a change. You know you need to take that first step, and when you do, God will bless that. Some of you may have an unhealthy relationship with food And you've been nudged by the Holy Spirit because you know I've crossed the line. Something has told you in the last weeks and last months and last years, I, if I don't get this under control, I'm going to be unhealthy. It's going to cause problems. It's already causing problems. And I have an unhealthy relationship with food. I'm going down a deadly path, and God is waiting for you to act. You may be in a bad relationship. You know you need to get out of it. You know it's destructive, and God is waiting for you to take the first step and just end that relationship. You may have a spiritual question, and you've told yourself, I'm, I've been meaning to ask somebody about this. I've been meaning to dig into this. I've been meaning to open my Bible, and you haven't done it. Here we are, June 9th, 2019, and, 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 and you've had this question for three months, for three years, for 30 years. You've been delaying the spiritual question that you have. Today would be a great day to find somebody you believe that you can trust spiritually and ask that question. Let me ask you, whatever it is for you today, whatever your next step in your life is, are you waiting for God to just give you the power first and then act? I hate to burst your bubble, it's probably not gonna happen. My experience is that doesn't happen. Here's what God's waiting for you to do. To get off dead center and to walk to the water's edge and he says somewhere between here and there, my power will be displayed in a way that will totally change your life. It took me a while to learn this, so I'm not saying it with a condescending attitude, but I do recommend that you switch your plan to the somewhere between here and there program. And when you do, God's going to act in your life in the same way he acted in all these other people's lives that we were reading about just a second ago. Those words amaze me. Quit praying and get moving. Quit praying and get moving. About four years ago, five years ago, a young man walked into my office and he was in a bad relationship. 
and he knew he should get out of the relationship. He was in a relationship with a girl. She was abusing him. I know you don't hear that often. It happens more than you think. She was abusing him. She had all of his information. She had his computer. She was having him do things that was very unhealthy, forcing him to experiment physically with things that was not good at all. He was going through depression. He was getting to the point of suicide. He was meeting with me week after week, and we were talking about what do we do next, what do we do next. It was hurting his relationship with God. It was hurting his relationship with his parents. He was a young man, still living at home. And finally, I think the third time we met, I said, buddy, how long do you want to keep meeting? We can keep meeting every week, or you can leave here today and end this relationship. Which one do you want to do? He said, I'd like to end this relationship, but I don't have the strength to do it. And I said, how about we just pray right here in this room that you would leave here today, you'd get in your car, and you would not go to a gas station, you would not go to a restaurant, you would not go home first, but you go straight to that gal's house. And let's pray that when you get to that house, you pray that God gives you the strength to get out of the car, and let's just pray that God gives you the strength to walk up to the front porch. And in that moment, let's pray that God gives you the strength to knock on that door, and when she opens that door, let's just pray that God gives you the strength to say her name, I want my computer back, and if she doesn't give it, oh, I don't know what you're going to do then, <laughs> because legally, yeah. let's just pray that you go straight to her house and you end it right now. He said, I can pray that, and that's what we prayed. And he took his keys. We ended that short session. He walked out of my office. He walked out in the parking lot. He started his car, and he prayed that God would give him the strength to walk straight to her house and he, or to drive straight to her house. He drove straight to her house. God gave him the strength to get out of his car. God gave him the strength to walk up to the front porch, and God gave him the strength to ask for his computer. She gave the computer, and today, I'm telling you, he hasn't been around that girl since. He's thriving in the church. He's serving the Lord. He's serving in the church, and uh, before I left Kansas, at uh, 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 that's where he lives. Anytime we would see each other, and we didn't have a relationship outside of church, but anytime we saw each other in church, we would just smile whenever we passed each other because he was free, because he took the first step and God showed up somewhere between here and there. You may not feel like you have the strength to obey, but God will give you the strength to obey if you get off the couch. This is a game-changing truth. So, Maybe you need to drive to a Celebrate Recovery this week. And that's hard. Well, I don't think I have the strength to get out of my car when I get there. Pray that God gives you the strength. And when I walk in, nobody's going to know me, and I'm going to have to admit that I have a hurt, a struggle, or a hang-up, or pray that God gives you the strength. And it could change the rest of your 2019. It could change the rest of your Life. Maybe you need to go to a counselor. Maybe you need to go to a therapist. Maybe you need to ask somebody a spiritual question, whatever it may be. Maybe you need to start charting on paper. This is what I eat during the day because of your relationship with food. That's how I started. The last week of February, I realized I was not honoring God with my body. And I, I didn't start with the diet because I didn't really want to do a diet. But I just started writing, this is what I'm eating during the day. And when you start learning what you're eating during the day, oh my. And then on March 3rd, started calorie counting. I'm not telling you, I'm just telling you, when are you going to make the decision? I am going to honor God with my body. 
and I don't have the strength, and I can't say no to that cupcake, and I can't say no to that donut, and I'm the first to raise my hand for that, but somewhere between here and there, God's going to give you the strength to obey. Amen? Aren't you excited about this game-changing truth? This is good stuff. This will change your life. Maybe somebody is uncomfortable right now at the status of your soul. If you got in a car accident today, if your life ended today, you're not sure where you would go. You're not sure. Isn't that worth getting it taken care of? Isn't it worth being right with God? Even if that means an uncomfortable conversation, a question that you gotta ask, and I would tell you this, whenever you get up out of your chair today, rather than going straight to the bathroom, rather than going straight to your car, rather than going back and grabbing one more cup of coffee, I would encourage you, grab me, grab Doug, grab somebody in this room who you trust spiritually, pull them off to the side, we're gonna pray with you, we're gonna answer any, we, we are here for that. Obey first, and God will show his power. Maybe you've never immersed yourself in the heartbeat of a congregation. It will change your life if you do. You've always just been out there as the wind blows. If I'm going to go to church this Sunday, I'll go to church. Next week, if something comes up, I'm, I'm going to do something else. But if, if you walk first, you will be blessed. I don't know all the decisions in this room. I have several other examples, but I just know this. If you say, I don't have the strength to do it, you'll never have the strength to do it. If you say, I don't know how to end this relationship, you'll never know how to end this relationship. Now is not a good time to start obeying. Now is always the best time to obey. Whatever that may be in your life, I'm going to end with the ultimate example. You remember the night of the crucifixion, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he gets on his face, and he's about to face the cross, and he prays to God, and nothing that was coming was going to shock him. He knew his friend was going to betray him. He knew Judas was, he knew what Judas was up to. He knew his disciples were going to flee the scene. He knew the arrest was coming. He knew the soldiers were going to mistreat him. He knew he was going to get beaten. He knew he was going to get spit on. He knew the humiliation was coming. And he knew the agony of the cross because he's seen crucifixions because all Israelites had at that point. And he was God. He knew what, was what he was facing. And he says, Lord, Father, can you take this cup from me? If there's another way to do this redemptive process thing, I'm all for it right now because I don't think I got the strength. And by the way, all of us would have prayed the same prayer. Amen. We don't blame him for that. If there's another way to accomplish the sins being forgiven in all the world, can, can you give me that cup rather than this cup? And, and here's what it actually says in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet, yet what? I'm still going to obey. Not my will but your will be done. God, I don't, Dad, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't know if I can walk that way. And the very next line in verse 43, it says this, an angel from heaven appeared to him and did what? Gave him the strength to get up. And where did Jesus go when he got up? He walked straight into the arms of his betrayer, Judas. He walked straight toward the army of the Roman soldiers. 
And then he had the strength to allow himself to be arrested and not fight back. And then somewhere along the way, he had the strength to endure the trial, and then he had the strength to endure the flogging and the beating and the whipping, and then he had the strength to endure the crown of thorns that went on his head and the bleeding that would have covered his face. And somehow, probably in prayer the whole time, God gave him the strength to walk the hill, to get up to Golgotha, and then on on the hill, he had the strength to withstand the nails that go into the hands and the nails into the feet, and then God gave him the strength to yell out his final phrase with his final gasps of air, it is finished. The sins of the world is covered for whoever believes. I am part of the family of God today because Jesus found strength and power along the way.